All right, good morning, guys. Uh, you can open up in your Bibles to, again, the book of Genesis, this time Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. Uh, yeah, as we are in this Advent season together, we are taking four weeks to look for Christ in the Old Testament in certain key characters and prophecies. Uh, last week, we looked at Adam and Eve and the fall, and we saw that Christmas uh, Christmas has some teeth to it. Like Jesus came to defeat Satan and sin and death and the devil. And this week, uh, we are looking at the call of Abraham. And, you know, if, um, if the curse came through Adam, the blessing comes through Abraham. And so we're going to look at the, the beginning of his life and his walk with the Lord together Uh, We'll read Genesis 12, verses 1 through 9, and then get into the word of God together. Genesis 12, 1 through 9 says this. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there, he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negeb. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. And Lord, we thank you uh, for these great fathers and mothers of the faith who have gone before us to show us uh, what it's like to, to walk with you and to live a life of faith. Um, And I thank you, Lord, for how Christ fulfills all the promises that were made to your people in the Old Testament. And so this morning, Lord, I ask that you would kind of just wake us up and revive our hearts and our minds, prepare us um, to receive the word of God and that it would uh, bear fruit in our lives and it would correct us where we're off and challenge us where we need to be challenged and encourage us where we need to be encouraged and above all that it would lead us to love and worship Jesus. Jesus more. So Holy Spirit, come now, speak uh, through me. May I just be faithful to what you have given us in your word. And would you feed and nourish our souls through your word? It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So this morning, as we, as we look at one of the fathers of the faith, Abraham, 
Uh, and for the record, now he's called Abram. He, his name will be changed to Abraham in a few chapters, so I'll probably refer to him as Abraham. Uh, Abraham models for us, he's, he's kind of like, he mirrors the New Testament call of Jesus when Jesus says, hey, if you want to be my disciple, you need to follow me. You need to pick up your cross. You need to deny yourself. Come and follow me. And so even though Abraham is in the Old Testament, he shows us what it's like to follow God, what it's like to walk with God, to live a life of faith. And as we, as we want to learn and grow as Christians, as followers of Jesus, you know, information is helpful, but the way God designed it is that we need to like see models. We need to see people, real people, walking with God. That's one of the ways we grow. We look at someone who's walking with the Lord, who's maybe walked with the Lord longer than us or is more mature than us, and and we look at their life, and we look at how they interact with the Lord and his word and his promises. That's the way that we are designed to grow. And so this morning, we're going to look at Abraham, and we're going to look at the call of his life, these first nine verses. And as we look at him, we, we will see a picture of what it is to follow Jesus. Now, if, if you have yet to follow Jesus, this morning will be a very helpful, like this is a pretty full picture of what it is to follow Jesus. If you've been walking with God for 50 years, this will also, I guarantee you, be an encouragement and it'll challenge us a bit to, to walk with God with our whole heart and soul, to be willing to obey God wherever he calls us, whatever he says to us. And so uh, how we're going to look at this text, we'll, we'll, we'll go verse by verse, essentially, and we're going to see five qualities of the life of faith. And then as we wrap this up, we're going to see how this prepares us for the coming of Christ and for Christmas. And so uh, the first quality we see in the life of Abraham, the first quality to a life of faith is this. The life of faith begins... When we hear the word of God, it begins when we hear the word of God. Look, look again at verse one. It says this. Now the Lord said to Abram. Don't pass over that. The Lord said to Abram. Think of this. Abram was doing his thing. He was living his life. He wasn't seeking God. He was the same as everyone else. He was just going about his life. And one day... God spoke. God spoke to him and completely altered the entire course of his life. God came and he spoke. Now, if you're familiar with the scriptures, you will see time and time again that speaking is God's chosen way of engaging with the world. It's how he created the world in Genesis 1 and 2. He spoke, let there be, and there was. His word is powerful. And God not only creates physical things through his word, he creates spiritual things. He creates spiritual life through his word. And so the beginning of the faith that Abraham had, it started when, when God spoke to him. The Bible uh, shows us time and time again that it begins life, spiritual life, the life of faith begins when we hear the word of God. Look what Paul says in Romans chapter 10. So faith comes from hearing. Where does faith come from? From hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. 
It doesn't come from our own uh, effort. It doesn't come from our own desire to be better or to follow God. It says that no one seeks God. But when we hear God speak, the God, the Holy Spirit, so blesses that that it makes faith in our hearts. And so the spiritual life that we all long for, it begins with God's word, but, but it's also sustained through God's word. Did you know that? Look at uh, Matthew chapter four. This is Jesus as he's in the wilderness being tempted by Satan. And Jesus has been fasting for 40 days and he was God, but he was also truly fully human. And so his human stomach had not tasted food for 40 days. And Satan comes to him and he says, why don't you make these rocks into bread? And look what Jesus says to Satan. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Our savior was sustained. He lived by every word that comes from the mouth of God. That's incredible. That is life. Spiritual life begins in God's word and with it, and it is sustained through God's word. Um, Look at how God sustains Abraham later, even just six verses later. Look at verse seven. Abraham is walking through this land and Again, in verse seven, it says, then the Lord appeared to Abram and said. That's a pattern that happens throughout Abraham's life. God shows up and he speaks to Abraham. And what sustains Abraham is he remembers these promises of God, what God has said, what God has spoken. God said this would come to pass. And so I trust him. That is the pattern and life of Abraham. The Bible goes on to say, Abraham believed God. He believed what God said, and it was counted him righteousness. That is the pattern of a life of faith. We hear the words and promises of God, and we trust him, and we believe him. I I just, I know these are familiar truths, um, but these these are truths that are literally essential for our souls day to day. There is no, uh, there's no communion with God like there is when we hear him speak to us. It's what the spirit of God loves to bless. Look what Jesus said in John chapter eight, verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. We see from Genesis to Revelation people, the saints of God being called through the word of God. Think of Samuel or David or the apostles. They hear God speak and spiritual life comes to them. Uh, I just even want to be honest and testify to you. Um, I I can't even tell you how the Lord refreshes my soul like probably nine out of 10 days when I just wake up and sit down with them. I honestly wake up, this happened today, and I feel like a liability to everyone around me. That's how I I woke up today. Like, I can't believe I have to preach today. I feel like a liability if I open my mouth and my soul is dry and I have anxious hearts and I have questions and concerns. And then I just open his word and I just open the little reading plan and I read whatever's next. And I don't even understand like how this is going to apply. But as I simply spend time with God hearing his voice. Like, 
I can't describe it. The way my soul just settles down. And I remember these truths like, do you know what? My life is in his hands. As we read the book of Daniel, I realize he is ruling the nations. He's over my life. And I have a savior who loves me and who has redeemed me and removed my sins from me. And I have the spirit of God in me and with me. And I have the promises of God that I can trust him and bet my entire life on. I don't need to be anxious. And it's just this supernatural thing. As, as I open his word, I just get refreshed. It's what God loves to sustain us with. This is food for our soul. This is where our spiritual life begins and is sustained. Now, the second quality of the life of faith is this. The life of faith is a, is a sent life, a missional life. Look what God says to Abraham. In verse one, now the Lord said to Abram, go, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. What God has to say to Abraham is this, Abraham, you are to go. You are sent. And notice two things here in this being sent. The first is that he is sent from something. He's sent from something. He is sent from his country and his kindred and his father's house. Jesus echoes this call in Matthew chapter 10, verse 37, to you, to you. You want to follow God. Look what Jesus says to you. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. The call to follow God, to follow Christ is a call from our old life, our old loves and ties and sins. It's a call away from, that word repentance means a turning around. I'm being called from this to something else. And, and if that sounds extreme to you, if the words of Jesus and the words of Yahweh in Genesis 12 sound extreme, you're right, they are extreme. The Bible says it's impossible the Bible says you have to be born again. Only the Holy Spirit can change your heart so that you can genuinely love God more than your father and your mother and your country and your home and everything you know. Only God can do that. Only when God makes your heart alive will you be willing to leave to go from everything that you once were and loved. And then notice, it's not just a call from, it's a call to somewhere. He says, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. He is being sent by God. He is on mission. He is being obedient to go somewhere else for God. Jesus also picks up this commandment in Matthew chapter 28 with this familiar verse. Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. To walk with God, to follow Jesus is a call from your old loves in life and to make disciples of all the nations. Now, uh, you may be sitting there like, okay, but what does that mean? Like, are you saying that every Christian in this room to genuinely follow Jesus needs to move out of Carpinteria and the United States and their culture and their families? Is that what you're saying? 
I, want, I don't want to let us off the hook too quickly. Let me say this. In a real sense, we are to love Jesus above all of this. And we must all be willing to go. We must, we must literally be willing to say, Lord, if you are calling me out of this town and this country and my family, I will go. I love you, Jesus, more than all of these things. I will go. And some will go. The Matniks are going, and I believe more will go. But in another sense, this is also true. We are all already sent people. Right now, sitting in your seat, you have been sent. You are, if you are a follower of Jesus, you are by your identity in Christ, a sent one. You have been sent from God as, as God sent Jesus. So Jesus is sending you. And Abraham, in even these nine verses, gives us a picture of what, what does that practically look like to be sent? What does it look like to be sent here and now today in my home and town and job? And I want us to notice what it looks like. We see it in verses uh, six through eight. And I, wanna, I want us to notice a few things. So first, let's read verses six through seven. And I want to point out a few things. Verse six says this. Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem to the Oak of Morah at the time the Canaanites were in the land. So pause there. Uh, If you looked at a map of Israel, I should have had one. Shechem is right in the middle. It's like in the heartland. It's in the middle of the land. And so he goes to the, the heart of Canaan and it says the Canaanites were in the land. So he's in the heart of the land and he's surrounded by these people who don't know God. And then it says he goes to the oak of Morah. Now, Morah means oracle. And typically what would happen in these cultures is they would find uh, a large tree and they would set up uh, their worship there. And what often would happen is an oracle or a prophet or priest would sit under these trees and they'd wait for the wind to blow through the leaves. And then they would hear from their God, so to speak, and then they would give prophecies. And so this was the center of worship at the center of the land surrounded by people who don't know God. Abraham has been sent to the middle of this place. And then look at verse seven. What is Abraham's mission strategy when he's there in the heart of the land? Look at verse seven. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to, you, to your offspring, I will give this land. Here it is. So he built there an altar to the Lord who appeared to him. What does he do? What is the first thing he does? He builds an altar and he worships the one true God. That's what he does. Because in the middle of that land, in the middle of their pagan worship, and what does he do but sets up an altar to worship the one true God. This is profound. Listen, Abraham is our model. He is a sent one. And what does he do as one who is sent? Listen, for those of you who who maybe feel like a failure sometimes uh, when it comes to being sent, being on mission, I want you to hear this. The most essential thing that you can do as one sent by Jesus is to worship the one true God in a culture filled with idolatry. That is the most essential thing you can do is worship Jesus, 
I will worship the one true God. I'm not going to worship these idols. I'm not going to give in to what they say or do. I'm going to worship Yahweh. We have been sent to this community, and the first essential thing is we will simply say, I am going to worship God. And as we see, Abraham is concerned first and foremost to be a faithful worshiper. And as he moves from place to place and country to country and community to community, he keeps building these altars and he keeps worshiping. And we see the hand of God on him and we see the effect of a man who's full of faith on his community. He does reach his community. He does interact with even kings and rulers and others, but he does so first and foremost as a worshiper of the true God. He says, I have a better, more true God and I'm concerned first and foremost to worship him. And then look at one more thing he does in verse eight. From there, he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. That word called uh, conveys a public, uh, out loud summoning or petitioning. What does Abraham do but holds a public prayer meeting in this land? That's his mission strategy. I'm going to show up and I'm going to worship and I'm going to pray. I'm going to call upon the name of the Lord in this place. God, you are worthy. You are the one true God. And I declare this is your place. This is your land. God, I worship you. Would you come and move and save? Listen, if we want to be on mission, we better not go on our own. We better go as worshipers calling on the name of the Lord. And I even love the way the Lord has orchestrated the way this church has planted so many churches. The strategy is like, we're gonna go and pray and worship and ask God, God, you gotta build your church. You have to save. Salvation is of the Lord. And we've been doing that as a people of God for thousands of years. We show up and we worship the one true God and we pray and we say, Lord, have mercy on this place. You alone are God. And so our father, Abraham, shows us that as sent people, we are to worship and pray and call upon the name of the Lord. The third thing we see is this. The life of faith is blessed and built by God. Uh, Look at verse two through three. Look what God says he will do. He will build in and through Abraham. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. See, when we wanna follow Jesus, he says you need to lose your life and put him first and love him above all, but... He says, you will receive much blessing from me. It's like that parable where the man finds that diamond in a field and it says in his joy, he sells all that he has because he, and he buys that field so that that diamond can be rightfully his. Listen, he's not crazy to give up everything for this diamond that's worth 
10 hundred billion times more than everything he has. And so to follow Jesus is, yes, Jesus, take my life, but we receive infinitely more than what we give up. When we walk with God, when we follow God, when we live a life of faith. And notice, Abraham has one job, he's to go. And God has five jobs. I, there's five I wills. You go and I will show you. I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who dishonor you. So often we, we treat God like all the other religions, like as if we have to earn and prove and work and then maybe he'll bless us when Christianity is the opposite. Listen, it's the lie of Satan that God is trying to keep you from blessing. He's trying to keep you from joy. He's trying to keep you from being a blessing and receiving a blessing. Listen, God has always loved and longed to give and bless his people. And it is Satan who says life and joy is somewhere else. And so Abraham, hears the call to go. And yet he receives this kind of blessing and promises. And, and if you read his life, God again and again delivers him and his family from famine and enemies. He saves many through. He saves Lot through his life and prayers. God supernaturally provides a son for Abraham and his own wife couldn't even have a son. God makes him wealthy and able to bless future generations. And above all, through Abraham's son, he brings the Messiah. There is infinite blessing when we walk with God. There's no better life than the life of faith. And so the life of faith begins when we hear the word of God and it's a sent life and it's one that's blessed and built by God. And the fourth truth we see is this. The life of faith is a life of obedience. Look at verse four. So Abram went. Imagine how the story would be different if it said he heard the sermon, said yes and amen, and then he went on his way and never obeyed. This story would be different. But Abram heard the word of God and said, I'm going to obey that. I'm going to be a doer of the word. I hear and believe what God is saying is true. So he went. He was 75 years old and he picked up his whole life and his family and his possessions, everything, and he moves. He moves. He obeys God because True faith is obedient to God. You can't have genuine faith that refuses to obey God. True faith hears the word and promises of God and then obeys them. That is the fruit of living real faith. It doesn't just say yes and amen and then does what it wants. It obeys and trusts and uh, acts out on the commandments of God. And so Abraham shows us, I will obey. I will walk this life of faith. I will leave all of this. And we see the blessing that comes through this man. Uh, one commentator put it like this. He, he, he's contrasting. Listen, Abraham was called the friend of God. Who doesn't want to be the friend of God? But, but look what being the friend of God will cost you. Look what uh, this, this commentator says. Abra Abraham was to find over a long period and supremely at Mount Moriah that to be the friend of God demanded, even if repaid, everything he had. 
To be the friend of God was to also demand obedience. I will obey you. I will walk with you. Now, I know I can only imagine the fears and anxieties Abraham felt. Like if I obey, maybe I won't have enough or how am I going to provide for my family or where are we going to go? Where are we going? Do I even know the plan? Maybe I should have a backup plan, like, you know, set a few things, a job in order in case this doesn't work out and I can, you know, come back. Maybe, maybe for some of us, we, we fear if we were to obey God, we'll miss out somehow or maybe we'll be alone or, or, or what if we're just making it up? And I just, through the life of Abraham and all of the saints and the few years I've walked with the Lord, I just want to testify, you guys, obeying Jesus is worth it. It's worth it. It's worth it. It's worth it. Uh, the, fifth, the fifth thing we see from Abraham is this. The life of faith is a sojourn. Now, that word sojourn uh, simply means a temporary stay. A temporary stay. Uh, look at verse 9. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. You know, in these nine verses, Abraham moves his entire family four times. Nine verses, he moves his whole life four times. Because the moment Abraham heard the word of God and decided he would believe and obey God, he became a sojourner. And he literally never lived in a house again. Do you know what he lived in? He lived in a tent. And time and time again, as you read the story of Abraham, it says he pitched his tent. He was living in his tent. And do you know the one thing he did build? He built altars to worship God. He said, do you know what? I'm going to give my life to building altars to worship God, and I will live in a tent. And I didn't notice this until this week. There's an incredible, intentional, I believe, contrast between Genesis 11 and Genesis 12. So turn back, look at the first few verses of Genesis 11. If you remember, this is the story of the Tower of Babel. And this is, a, this is really an honest picture of humanity and the desires of humanity. And, and notice in, in verses 2 through 5, notice these phrases, okay? I think we have them up here for you. In Genesis 11, two through five, speaking of the people of Babel, it says they found a plain and they notice these words, they settled there. And they said, let us make bricks. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the earth. It is in the human heart to be, to long to be settled, to, to have a home and a home that's made of bricks, permanent, to have a name for ourselves, because the worst thing would be to be dispersed over the face of the earth. And now compare these words with what God tells Abraham. Look at these phrases again from verses one through three. Go from your country. I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And then look at the, the phrases from verse four to nine. So Abraham went, he departed, they set out, they passed through, he pitched his tent, 
Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. There is a radical contrast between the life of faith and the life of this world and living for this world. And Abraham knew the moment he heard the call of God, he was no longer to be settled in his soul and in his heart. He knew this world was not his home. He knew that Ur was not his city. He knew, as the author of Hebrews tells us, there was a better city, one to come, the city of God. And it has foundations laid by God himself. And so Abraham uprooted his soul and his heart from this world, lived in a tent, and committed his life to living for the name and worship and praise of Yahweh. Now, I want us to notice this incredible irony When we live for ourselves and our name and our kingdom, first of all, it is a very small kingdom. And the the chances that we will be remembered 4,000 years later is very unlikely. But when we live for the Lord and his glory and his name and his kingdom, here we are studying the life of a man who said, I don't need to build my kingdom. I don't need to be concerned with my home and my life. I'll be a sojourner. I'll go. And here he is being studied and learned from 4,000 years later. Uh, C.S. Lewis wonderfully describes this phenomenon. He, He wrote these words in Mere Christianity. Listen to this. He says, if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. The apostles themselves who set on foot the conversion of the Roman Empire, the English evangelicals who demolished the slave trade, all left their mark on earth precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this one. Aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. Man, aim at heaven and see the kind of impact you may have. But if you aim to keep your small kingdom, Jesus says you'll lose it you'll lose your very soul. And so Abraham knew I have a greater kingdom. It's the kingdom of God and a greater city, the city of God and a greater name to live for than myself. And so I'm willing to loosen my grip on my life and kingdom and name and legacy and I'll walk with God and I'll journey with God and I'll live in tents and I'll be concerned with him and his name. And that is the call of every Christian. Again, some of us may cross cultures. Some of us may stay in this one. But as long as we hold on to our name and our kingdom, we will stifle. We will stifle our souls and the ability to be useful for the kingdom of God. But when we say, okay, I love you, Jesus, more than anything else. My house, it's not a house, it's a tent. It's just a temporary tent that I live in. 
my job, my influence. It's a tent. And what I want to be concerned with is building altars so that God will get worship and glory. That is what it is to live the life of faith. Now, I want to tie this back into Advent for us. And I want us to see um, that though Abraham is a faithful guide and he's a faithful uh, man of God that we should look to and learn from, uh, there's, there's one that fulfills the life and promises to Abraham far more. And so I want us to, to notice Jesus here. Listen, as Abraham's life began when the word of God came to him, think about how the Bible refers to Jesus as the word who was who was sent to reveal God to us, to become flesh and dwell among us, to show us the very heart and character of God. Listen, Abraham heard some cool things about God. He was God's friend, but Jesus is God. And when we look at Jesus, we see all the glory and character and nature of God in the flesh. And as Abraham was sent from his country and his father's home, Jesus left heaven and his father's throne and was sent to earth for us. And as Abraham would be a blessing to those he would encounter, the greatest blessing Abraham provided was his future son, Jesus, through whom every tribe and tongue and nation has hope and redemption, whose name is above every other name. And as obedient, as Abraham was obedient to the call of God, think about the obedience of Jesus. Because listen, Abraham wasn't perfectly obedient. Abraham didn't perfectly trust God. Abraham did often try to work out God's promises in his own flesh and in his own wisdom, but Jesus was perfect. And he obeyed God perfectly. And because he was perfectly obedient, he would become a perfect sacrifice for the sins of Abraham and you and me and the nations. And as Abraham spent his days sojourning about in tents in a foreign land, so Jesus came to tabernacle among us to to become an actual human baby 2,000 years ago. And on the cross, he would rip open this, this distance between God and man. And now because Jesus came, we as sojourners have hope that we have a future home and city awaiting us. And that, yeah, this world isn't our home, but we have a home waiting for us. And so I want to ask you, have you heard the invitation to leave your life and your loves and to follow Jesus? And have you obeyed that call? Have you given Jesus your life and your loves and say, I will love you, Jesus? You can have it all. And if you haven't, hear the invitation right now. Come. You can come. Jesus is inviting you. He's knocking at your door. He's saying, come, let me in. Let me have your heart. And if you have heard and you have come, then let us, let us even now do what our father Abraham so often did and, and let us worship our God.
though we are in these tents, these broken tents that are breaking down, um, though we're not yet in our eternal home, let us still in these tents give him praise and do all we can to build altar after altar everywhere we go saying, I will worship my God. I will love him and praise him. And Lord, please, would you use me and save more people through me? So Jesus, we thank you that you, before Abraham was, you were. And as you called Abraham to follow you, to to leave his family and his country and to follow you, Christ, would we hear those words for ourselves? And would we, Holy Spirit, help just loosen our grip on this world and this home and this place? Lord, I know that even now, this room is full of people with with real concerns and desires and questions and difficult circumstances. These are real things. Lord, I ask by your grace, you would help us to be able to seek first your kingdom and trust that as we seek you, you will care for us. You'll provide for us. You are a good shepherd and you will be there with us and we in you truly have all that we need. And You will walk with us. As Abraham didn't know where he was going, he did know you, and you were with him, and your presence was enough. And so, Lord, as we endeavor to walk with you and follow you, we just ask for a a true awareness of your, your presence and your nearness, that you're worth it, Jesus, that there is more joy in knowing you than anywhere else, and that even in dark valleys, the shadow of death, that you are with us and your rod and staff comfort us. And Lord, I ask that you would make this church, these precious sons and daughters of you, you would make us effective for your name. As you used Abraham to bless the world, would you use us to bless the world? Would our communities be blessed because of our worship and trust and obedience to you, Lord. Would we be a blessing? And and truly the the greatest blessing we have is, is the gospel. It's the knowledge of Jesus. And so would we uh, worship you and then would we share this blessing that we have, this treasure that we have with those around us? As uh, one pastor put it, I read, Lord, that Abraham... Um, spread the perfume of his faith everywhere that he went. Would you make us like that as we worship and as we pray and as we obey you? Would just the aroma of Christ just be spread about, Lord? And We know some will not receive it, Lord, but we know some will. So save more, Lord. Save more because we know you and walk with you and trust you. And now, God, I ask that uh, as Abraham worshiped you, that we would worship you. You are the same God. You are the God of Abraham. And right now, we actually have greater access to you than he did. We have your very spirit in us. 
the blood of Jesus covering us, and we can enter into your uh, presence with boldness and confidence because of the blood of Jesus. So now, would uh, for this these next 20 or so minutes, would we as your people seek your face and worship you? Would we surrender up whatever maybe are, are, we're holding on to, we're fearful of letting go, would, would we give it all to you, Lord? And we worship you. Uh, we also have a, a prayer team on either side here. If you um, have questions or concerns or uh, just need prayer, these are anointed men and women of God. Come and get prayer. We have communion here. I want to, again, remind us, as the Bible does, to say, Be still for a moment and examine yourself. And if there's sin in your life, repent of that sin and say, God, I don't want this. I repent of this. And and then give that to the Lord and then come and take these as a reminder that his body was broken and his blood was poured out for that very sin. And he loves you and he forgives you. And then we have these carpets here and we have space all around. As the Bible says, worship is so often done as this, uh, like casting ourselves before the Lord. So feel free to come and kneel and lay down or dance and together. Let's, let's seek the face of our God together. Amen.